Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to another edition of Please Bet on Football Games, a podcast where we beg you to bet on football games because we either think we're stupid and we're going to take your money, or you think we're smart and then you deserve a little bit of cash. Today we have a special treat for you guys. Uh, I'm adding something new to the podcast. It's not intelligence and it's not wit. It certainly won't be production value, but we have a new co-host named Alex. He's my right-hand man, my best friend since before college even started. And uh, some say he's my better half. Alex, would you like to explain what you're going to be doing around here? Thank you for that amazing introduction. Really felt the uh, felt the warmth when uh, you were talking about all that I'm going to bring to the podcast. But mainly, I think uh, anyone that knows Joe will know that sometimes he can get a little too wrapped up in uh, what he's looking at, especially with how much time he puts into it. It's almost like getting lost in one tree, losing sight of the whole forest, that old metaphor. So I can pull them out, kind of show them the whole forest instead of just those individual trees. Basically, Alex's job is to be my bridge to sanity when I get a little bit too much like a mad scientist. Without further ado, let's get to the rookie report card. Sounds good. So, Joe, if you want to go ahead and start us off with that first game, heard uh those New England Patriots had a little bit with their quarterback controversy. Yeah. Yeah, they did. First of all, I have to say I was shocked because Cam Newton actually looked about as good as his stat line did. He legitimately impressed me. And not all the time, but most of the time, he actually had sufficient zip on the ball for an adult male, uh, which is rare for him over these last two years. Unfortunately, that might not matter because it looks like Mac Jones is going to be a hotter topic of discussion these days for reasons we'll get to later. Generally for Mac Jones, we saw almost the same performance as preseason week one, but a little tiny bit worse. He had the one gorgeous deep ball, the 20 yarder to Harry down the left sideline. Wouldn't Keel Harry somehow broke his collarbone trying to catch a well-thrown ball. Yeah, I was, you know, I was kind of like watching through, at fast speed and I saw him drop the ball and go down because he laid out for it and then he just kept staying down I was like oh my goodness did he really hurt himself did he break his collarbone I think he did oh my goodness yeah he legitimately was hurt he definitely missed the rest of the game they don't know when he's going to be back sorry I said 20 I meant 45 yard I got that confused with a different pass to Harry which was also pretty good generally Mac lacks arm strength. Stop me if you've heard that one before. <laughs> he softballed a couple of flats and outs that just fell harmlessly to the ground. You know, it's one of those things where you could get into it and be like, oh, he's lucky it wasn't man coverage. That's going for six. But if it was man coverage, maybe he put some zip on it or goes somewhere else. So let's not play the maybe game. Generally, they didn't ask him to do much, and he typically didn't disappoint. It was a professional pedestrian-style game, I, you know, it's the same shit we saw from Andy Dalton, which we'll get to later, but it's like, okay, this won't lose us the game. I don't know if New England has the firepower to win a game in other ways, but I don't know. I'm yeah, not writing home. Definitely. I So this was one of the games that I actually did get to watch. And so I had pretty much the same notes on Cam. He, you know, he moved well in the pocket, which is kind of standard for him. One of the things he still can do. But what but I was impressed really with was well that in the pocket. He, he looks like he actually has some zip back. 
you know, it's not like Cam from 10 years ago, but he definitely has some uh, some power back to his throws, which is impressive. But it was just check down everything. I don't I mean, he had a couple throws early that were 15, 20 yards, but everything after that went eight yards, nine yards. So it's just he did he did well for what they asked him to do. But like you were saying, Mac. He, he completed a lot of passes. I thought, honestly, a lot of them weren't actually placed very well. And his receivers had to adjust and weren't able to run with it. They had to, you know, just catch and go down. That deep ball to Harry was gorgeous. That was a beautiful pass. He had a, he had a couple nice throws with good placement, but they were just late. Yeah. And, and um, a lot of the time, it's not even his anticipation. It's just he doesn't have the zip. The one play that I wrote down where it looked like the ball just took forever was they were at the goal line and they basically ran like an out with the tight end or kind of like a flat out. And the tight end had two steps on the linebacker safety or whoever was covering him. Mac took right to the back of his three step, fired the ball and it just took a while. And the tight end just looked like he was just waiting. And by the time the ball got there, the whoever was covering broke in and broke up the pass. You're like, that got there quicker. That's a touchdown. Yep. And and that's never going to change. And he's just never going to be quite great at attacking the middle of the field. Honestly, his best trait is his deep ball. He's really accurate with it. And it doesn't go that deep, but it goes deep enough. And like I talked about on the Justin Fields special last week, you need to have that arc. And because he can't really throw that hard, everything's an arm punt. Everything's way up there and it comes down. Wide receiver's got plenty of time to adjust to get under it. Takes the cornerback out of the play as long as there's a step of separation. And he, he really is accurate with it. I give him an A-plus on his deep ball coming out of college. And through two games, his only two throws that really stand out to you is like, ah, that's how you win in the NFL. Our deep balls, both down the left hash. Neither of them caught, of course, which really sucks. Such is life in the preseason. But no, I have I have late and lack zip just peppered across this uh this note sheet I have. Slow ball, yeah. late, double coverage, forced the ball low because he didn't have the drive, lack zip on the curl, just always and then he did he got really fucking lucky. I think it was his first pass, but he yeah. totally missed the linebacker just standing there, Jameis style, and that that was ugly. If that gets yeah. caught, the narrative is so different right now. Yeah, that I wrote it too, where I was like, all right, Cam looked really good. And I had heard that everyone was like, wow, Mac really took a step in the uh, in the QB battle over the weekend. And so I was expecting him to come out just like dicing him up. And he comes out in first pass, he hits the linebacker in the hands. And I was like, oh, my God, it is not a good start, Mac. Yeah, but, that, was, that was rough. But, um, yeah, I mean, he did recover. He He – he played well enough. Yeah, I, it was a fine game. It was perfectly fine. It was not special. I would not write home. I also wouldn't bet against him purely because of this game. It, it, it happened is the best way to say it. Fair enough. All right, we move on to the next game. The next game, we got a little uh, Colts-Vikings action. We can talk about our, uh, our favorite Jacob Eason and our uh, maybe not-so-favorite Ellinger and Mond. Yeah, so Jacob Eason, we were talking in prep before this, and Jacob Eason did exactly this past weekend what he did all throughout his tenure at Washington, which is just five minutes on the clock of fucking up bad. 
inexplicably just like missing everything. It makes like, you know, I'm a Jacob Eason fan. I don't think he's some kind of elite generational talent, but I like a lot of his traits and I think he has a really high ceiling, but it was just, okay. I was taking notes and I don't take notes of the pedestrian plays, but you know, the good plays, the bad plays, I'll jot down like what happened. And I have on one line, the first line, mini slump, because this is what I call it when Jacob Eason goes to implosion mode for five minutes. And then the next line, I have an arrow that points from the first line to the next line saying mini slump. And that continues for five lines because it just didn't get better. He had, uh, he came in with four minutes and 22 seconds in the second half, and it was all really not good. And then all of a sudden, like we're talking three and outs because he just can't hit a fucking curl. Just terrible quarterbacking. I was like, God damn it. I just got all high on him. I'm saying there's no drop off from Wentz to him and I'm high on Wentz. And then he's going to do this. He comes out for the second half, (laughs) immediately throws a pickable ball into traffic. But from then he snaps out of it. He starts lighting it up and he actually salvaged himself a decent day in the end. You know, he's, he hits those, the way that Mac Jones will never attack the intermediate second level Jacob Eason will excel attacking that second level. And really what happened was eventually Reich got sick of seeing Eason flounder and just called for a bunch of pedestrian cheap plays, just little dinks and dunks and screens. And once Jacob Eason got into a rhythm, he was able to attack downfield more. Not No deep shots this game, but slicing and dicing that 10 to 20 yard range. And I gave him a C performance overall. He still had more negative plays than positive. But when you consider that he started off with a fucking holy shit sign up for the XFL grade, it's pretty good. The second half against third stringers, which needs to be accounted for. Yeah, I so I watched him. Um, I turned the game on and Sam Hellinger was in. And so I turned it off. <laughs> Went and watched a different game. And then I came back uh, right when Eason got in. I was like, all right, cool. Here's the one guy I actually want to see. And proceeded to watch him just fuck up left and right. Exactly what you're talking about, where I was thinking to everything that we talked about when we were scouting him for draft season, which was he's really good with a lot of arm talent, but he goes through and has those horrible stretches where he makes every bad decision he can. He can't hit anything. He's missing balls every direction. And you're just like, what has happened to this guy? And then you know, halftime happened, watched a couple other games, came back, and I didn't see the pickable ball actually to start it because I didn't see right away. So I didn't see that, but I saw him playing well, and I was like, all right, you know, third stringers, but he's actually completing passes and getting in a rhythm and looks like the quarterback that we think he is. Um, So it was definitely positive to see him get back to it, but it was definitely the Jacob Eason roller coaster. Yeah, we rolled the, we rode the whole fucking ride in one half of a preseason week two game against the fucking abysmal Vikings. The pickable was bad. It was there were at least two defensive linemen closing in on him, and he decided the best thing to do is jump and throw the ball directly down the middle of the field, fifteen yards downfield. And obviously, he got hit as he threw. Ball kind of hangs up there, and the linebacker die number forty five. Dude, it was a punt. He dropped the punt. Like, oh, no. like it was one of those ones where the linebacker like looks at his hands to, as if to say like, why have you forsaken me for this job? <laughs> it was that bad. Like 
his teammates came over and were like, oh, dude, I can't believe you fucking dropped that. I'm sorry. It was double. Like, you're you're really trying to make this team, man. And oh, and it's the same guy, actually, who had a pick six on Ellinger. Because moving on to Ellinger, who the fuck thought this man would be an NFL quarterback? Like, who drafted this man? Dude, I, I thought that they were going to take him and use him like Taysom Hill, kind of, where they were going to put him out and, like, work him into some quarterback situations. They've been having him start and everything, and he's horrible. Like, Dude, not surprising. I, I could see terrible. him being, like, a goal line quarterback, the way they do in the CFL, where it's like, okay, he runs the read option and sometimes the pop pass, but, like, he is not making reads or throwing. I... It's bad, and it was bad. If you watch Texas, Texas for the last three years has been Tom Herman scheming some shit up and then Sam Ellinger shitting all over himself. He's he's right-handed Tebow. He's Dak Prescott, but like when Dak Prescott is drunk, it's bad. I It's bad, and that's all that needs to be sped, said. Yes, yeah. I think that's an accurate, accurate summation of Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger playing NFL football is like me trying to tweet at 7 a.m. Pacific there's going to be a lot of fucking mistakes, and sometimes you got to try again a few times. But in the NFL, when you try again a few times, it's a pick six to a fucking backup linebacker. <laughs> Don't worry. Right. Your, Don't your worry. other favorite Kellen Mond yes. played, too. I was going to say, don't worry, my bet on Indianapolis cashed. Why? Because Kellen fucking Mond, motherfucker. Oh, my God. It's so also- bad. Quick, quick aside, the guy that plays in front of him is also god-awful. Oh, Jake Browning? Jake Browning is like if Andy Dalton were even more impotent in every way. I I watched, I think, three series from Jake Browning, and after two where he didn't complete a pass, he came out in the third, and he completed a, like, a flat route. Like, I don't even think the ball went past the line of scrimmage on the throw, and the announcers were, like, cheering. They were so excited. They were like, yeah, look at him. Because he had just been so bad that these professional announcers were talking to him like a T-ball kid that missed the T. <laughs> I, you know, the crazy thing is I didn't, I didn't like break down Kirk Cousins because I have a feeling that a little bit of preseason action isn't going to change the decade of work that he's put in. But yeah. He didn't fucking move the ball either. I think these Vikings could really be dirty asshole, or I could be overreacting to the preseason. But either way, Kellen Mond's a fucking disaster. Did you watch any of him? Because his first play was fucking really good. Was was, it? He fumbled a handoff on the way to the running back and then had to jump on the ball and take the sack for like a loss of eight. Hey, that's a hot start, man. You start instilling confidence early. Remember that Chris Sims says this is the most pro-ready quarterback. He's so intelligent that he's designing the offense. He's so polished, it's incredible. He holds the ball up above his fucking head and upside down, but I swear he's polished. Chris Sims would fucking know, apparently. It was bad. There was that fumble, which is a sack and a fumble. Um, He threw an interceptable ball that hit the defender in the hands, but we're not quite that fucking lucky, unfortunately. Um, He did have two really, really good throws. I graded him as great. They were fucking beautiful. And that brings his positive play percentage up to 14%. (laughs) He was accurate. His minus was 50. What's like an average for a good game? It depends on how many cheap plays you're like play caller calls in but typically you just try to have the numbers be about even like think about it i mean it's it's about what you would expect an average game like 
I call it the DAC line, which is kind of like the Mendoza line in baseball, like just doing enough. The DAC line is probably about 25% positive, 25% negative, 50% cheap, right? 14% positive, 50% negative, properly executed 35.7% of his cheap plays, threw catchable balls on 55.6% of throws. So not a good game. Is what well, we're getting at. What we're getting at is, like, okay, Jacob Eason had that really rough start and, like, not a great game overall, right? hmm Jacob Eason was accurate through a catchable ball on 72.4% of passes, so 20% difference. He, he had a positive play on 24% of his dropbacks, 10% better. He had a negative play on 27.6% of his dropbacks, 25-ish percent better, 22.4% better. He executed his cheap plays properly on 48% of his dropbacks. Like, Jacob Eason played bad. And Kellen Mond made him look like a fucking Hall of Famer. In fact, he was so bad, but let's move on to Trevor Lawrence, who did not play well, for comparison's sake. So, first of all, once again, Urban Meyer might be the worst coach I've ever seen. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. We we will have to we got to do bets on when he's gonna retire, quit, have health crisis, family. <laughs> it's crisis. not even a bet on the prop. Won't be does he quit? It will be what medical excuse does he use? To- family excuse. He he used that one in Florida too. My money's There's on family also. reasons. <laughs> um, burnt family. He's got to move on. He already did heart at Ohio State. Uh, I think in Utah he did. Uh, financial destitution here he's going to go with ulcers i feel it in my bones nirvana was in the news today it just is too perfect um but no it's it's so bad they don't know what the fuck they're doing they're still running one and two man fucking patterns like one or two people going out for a pass on a pass play and they're still seeding significant pressure on that play like you can't have your rookie quarterback scrambling for his life with two options it's unbelievable. I cannot believe it. Um, no, and then Travis Etienne, they drafted him in the first round to not play and then get hurt. It's just, it's such a fucking debacle. Yeah. And again, like, you know, injury stuff to a certain extent is just pure luck. And that's just bad luck that he has a Liz Frank issue and is out for the year. Um, but it just highlights how dumb of a pick it was. Even if the guy was healthy, they had so many other needs than a running back that you're going to try and teach wide receiver to. The thing that really upsets me, there's two things that really upset me. One, if you want a running back who's pretty good and really good at receiving, they had a thing called the Demetric Felton that was available in the fifth round that does that, like already learned that, knows that coming in. Um, so congratulations on fucking missing that value play. Additionally, it's not that he got hurt. It's that he got hurt against third stringers late in a game in the preseason because they decided they don't need to start him and get him real reps, but they do need to just throw him in as if he were a practice squad. It's just a general lack of fucking continuity in thought. Despite the fact that the Jaguars are run by one man, they are coached and GM by effectively the same man. It seems like this man is actively sabotaging himself in each of his roles. It's one of those things where, like, I get frustrated and angry because, holy fucking shit, this guy is stupid in so many ways. 
But does it really affect the game? Well, in this case, yes, because the same person who mishandled every fucking facet of their first round pick in Travis Etienne is the one that is calling, okay, wide receiver one run a go route, wide receiver two run a curl, everybody else block. Oh no, our quarterback's getting sacked because it's really easy to cover two people and beat a running back in fucking pass rush. So Jaguars are fucked and Trevor Lawrence was bad. And Trevor Lawrence was really bad. I gave him a D. He had a negative fucking 6.75 like slugging grade, which if that was a full game grade, this is a fucking third of a game. Not good. Even still, he was accurate on 60% of his passes. Five more percent than Kellen Mond. He had a slightly higher positive play rate at 17. He had a slightly lower negative play rate at 37. And this is still terrible. So that's just how truly fucking what the fuck is going on Kellen Mond is. He is a special breed of, oh. Yeah, I mean, I... I I don't expect anything of Kellen Mond, but he will be a funny one that if we come back in a couple of years and he's at least like serviceable, like not even necessarily that he's exploded and he's a star, but like he just plays football and like you can put him out there will be just the greatest shock and it will be a lot of fun to revisit this. Oh, if he starts in five years, like come back to me in 2026, if he's like slotted to be a starter and not just lucking into it as a backup or some shit. I will be thoroughly shocked. Now, he has a chance because he actually is truly physically gifted. It's just that every other facet of his person is terrible. Like, apparently he's a genius, which means he should be polished, but it sure the fuck doesn't translate to the game. And his technique is just, it's, it's bad in a way you couldn't imagine it could be bad. It's highly technical and inefficient and backwards. Again, he holds the ball. Like he, it's a water bottle, like a squirty water bottle that he's drinking from. It's it's up above his fucking ear like this. Great radio right here as I explain how the man holds the ball visually. It's like he's drinking a fucking squirty water bottle on the sideline, except that's the football. And then his throwing motion is like a fucking softball pitch in length. So the guy is fucked. And speaking of fucked, we're going to go to Trey Lance real quick. We're going to jump right to Trey. We're jumping out of order, but we're speaking about quarterbacks who fucking blew dick. And while Mac Jones, like, this is the one thing with Mac Jones is, no, he did not impress me at all. But it wasn't like this, because this was bad, too. Trey Lance hit two defensive backs in their fucking hands. They weren't caught, of course, but we did get a little bit of justice in the market when he hit Brandon Ayuk in his hands. And then after that, it was caught by the other team, because Brandon Ayuk is slightly faster Jamar Chase. Um, This is a bad game. But again, 31.58% positive plays, 31.58% negative plays. It's actually not bad. It's all risk and reward. That's a really high positive play rate. But it's also a really high negative play rate. If he didn't, you know, throw two dead in the fucking water interceptable passes... This would have low-key been a pretty decent performance, like a B-minus performance, but he did that, and that was playing against threes. So I'm sorry. I'm not impressed by you, and you suck. Yeah, that's that's a tough one that I've had to like kind of come to terms with, is that you can play really well, but if you have a couple crippling turnovers – or just generally you have two or three turnovers, like that takes a really good game 
into just a disaster immediately, unless you're, you know, God otherwise. There's a really good example of that, actually. Uh, I watched this one really, really, really impressive college football game, Washington versus Utah two years ago. And our old friend Jacob Eason was absolutely lights out, just putting his team on his back. Incredible performance until the third quarter when he had five minutes of what could only be described as point shaving. (laughs) Everything was late. Everything was inaccurate. He was trying to throw picks that sometimes were so poorly thrown they couldn't be picked. And in that five minutes on the clock of just, he took a great game and a lead and squandered them both. He then woke up after his mini slump of five minutes and played lights out again. But it was too late because when you play five minutes of Mitch Trubisky against the Rams circa 2018 football, you can't come back from that. It's it's too much. You can't see three short field extra possessions and expect to win a game unless you're playing against 2018 Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, um, so that'll definitely be a, a thing to watch with Trey Lance, which is why, I mean, we said he should not start for a year at, at the least. And it looks like they're going to do the smart thing and keep Galapagos in. But, yeah, that's where you see with Trey Lance that he does have a ton of ability, but, man, he is not ready. For all of you out there with sharp ears, he did say Jimmy Galapagos, and he did that intentionally. And it's a running joke that I don't understand, but we like it. Uh, I had seen someone on Twitter call it, say Galapagos, and I thought it was funny. So I continued to call him Galapagos even after he went from a relatively unknown Patriots backup to making $30 million a year or whatever he makes. So um, he can so, have sex with disgusting porn stars and lose Super Bowls. Hey, but that is his choice. And <laughs> people know him because of those types of things. But yeah, I, I know I want to be known for losing Super Bowls on my lonesome. You know what? It, people know him and that he played in the Super Bowl. Speaking of losing on my lonesome, should we do the Mitch Trubisky revenge game? We we definitely should. I uh, I am very excited to see to hear about your breakdown of your favorite prospect of all time, Mitch Trubisky. Who uh, I know your crushed is no longer on your Bears. So, and yeah. then your other favorite in Justin Fields that yeah, I know you have already done a deep dive into, but take us away. What do you mean my other favorite? Aren't they the same thing? <laughs> okay. Um, actually, I wish Justin Fields looked like this week's Mitch Trubisky because this week's Mitch Trubisky was hitting all of the wide fucking open wide receivers. Um, I Again, I take notes when there's a play that is not super pedestrian and cheap. Like, what note am I going to write on a – two yard flat, right? There's no note to write. There's nothing to fucking talk about. Well, because of that, I only had about three notes on Trubisky's day. Uh, He had the pickable that was dropped as is tradition. He missed, just fucking missed six throws, but he hit 18 cheap pedestrian throws and Chicago Mitch Trubisky doesn't do that. Further proving that Brian Dable is a fucking black wizard who needs to be banished for his sins against humanity and God. Um, yeah, his deep ball, he threw two deep balls and they were so actively fucking terrible. It just gave me flashbacks to first to Trey Lance, who I had watched just prior to Trubisky, uh, because both of them throw the deep ball kind of like a golf ball that you've driven as hard as you can. 
it just fucking goes some direction, but never straight. It's out of bounds or it's in the middle of the field and neither of those places are where you want a deep ball. Um, but he, he also had six solid throws. He showed some mobility towards the end in Chicago. Trubisky was terrified of running because he didn't want to get hit, which is a really bad thing when your best asset as a quarterback is running because you're not accurate with throwing footballs. Um, that said, it was a C performance. It was solid. It was professional, like Mac Jones. It's just, it's you want some quarterbacks to just not fuck you. And Trubisky's one of those. And this time he kept it in his pants. He did not fuck the Bills. Um, accurate on 77.5% of his passes, 55.5 of which were really cheap. Those little, you know, sub 10 yard dinks and dunks to wide open dudes. But you can't knock him for that. Um, on the other hand, Andy Dalton was slightly below a professional quarterback. There were some bad throws. There were not many good throws. There were plenty of pedestrian throws, which is what you want. Like, if you tell me that Andy Dalton is going to be the Andy Dalton of Cincinnati that never does anything good, but just doesn't fuck up, at least not that bad, I'm happy. The Bears can win like 10, 11 games that way, just on sheer scheme and defense. Um, he fucking, that DAC line is a zero slugging grade and even plus in negative plays. He damn near nailed the DAC line on slugging with a negative 0.25, which came which, from a throwaway. Which is honestly so fitting because I think we've always talked about Dalton basically being DAC. Actually, you know, DAC's I, I think, a little bit more exciting. But I think the DAC line should be called the Andy Dalton line, but Andy Dalton doesn't have a cool enough name. Yeah, and I feel like the Dalton line is a thing that exists that people talk about. Wait, really? And we've just ramped it up a little bit because we have high expectations and shit. Um, oh, but fuck. Andy Dalton basically hitting the line perfectly is is perfect. It's perfect it's Andy exactly, Dalton. Yeah, it's exactly who he is and always has been and I expect will continue to be. Accurate on 87% of his passes, just they didn't fucking go anywhere. And then he yep. ate two bad sacks and there you go. That's his negative plays. So I... If this is the Andy Dalton we get, I'm relatively happy. Oh, he did have the interception. I did not count against him because number 13, Rodney Adams, who actually had an impressive day. He, he's the one. I don't know if you saw Andy Dalton threw a nice deep ball. It was a little underthrown. He needed another yard on it. But Adams went up, took the ball away from the cornerback and then fucking busted ass. Turned a 30. Oh, yeah, I did see that. An 80 yard touchdown. It was lovely. It was truly lovely. And so naturally, anybody that gets me excited has to also let me down miraculously. So Rodney Adams let me down miraculously on about a 20-yard in-cut where he slipped directly at the top of his route. Andy Dalton gunned that fucker in there, and it's one of those things where if Rodney Adams runs through the route, that might have been a fucking incredible throw. Or it could have still been a pick, and I don't fucking know, and I'm not going to fucking grade it because how the hell can I? If you're coming exactly. from my head and I'm too lenient on Andy Dalton... Shout out that weird Ezekiel guy on Twitter who keeps on tweeting at me. He's probably still tweeting at me now. He uh, got up to 25 unsolicited tweets today. He's probably looking for 30. It, you know, if you're trying your to quotas to meet, man, getting towards the end of the month, he's got to hit his quotas. I think I might legitimately be his only human interaction for the month. And that's the only reason I don't block him. But anyhow, also because he's hilarious. Though. 
He's fucking hilarious. I absolutely love this caricature because he somehow turned me going undefeated this past weekend in bets into a bad thing. Like, oh, you you won all these bets and made all this money? Well, it's my fault somehow. Okay, Zeke, I fucking love you. So, no, I'm not an Andy Dalton stan. I just can't grade a play that involves a falling down wide receiver. All right, all right. Justin Fields actually, he hit the DAC line on positive and negative plays. 29.63% positive and the exact same percent negative. Um, his, his slugging was 0.75, which is oh so close to exactly zero and the DAC line. Um, he had one great throw. He, he did. It was lovely. He had a, a handful of good throws. He had an interceptable ball that did not get intercepted. Um, he missed some really incredibly bad throws. Just what are you doing? Um, his interceptable ball was a throwaway that he threw directly into three defenders. And he's really lucky none of them knew the ball was coming towards them because that would have been a pick in the red zone. And he ate three sacks, including the famous one. That sack hurt me to watch, the one that I'm sure everybody's seen. It was totally on fields. He, he slid a receiver to the right on a hot route, and then he slid the protection to the left. Despite the fact that there's an overhanging edge rusher on his right, and then he didn't look to his right the entire play. So if you slide a receiver over to the right, one would posit that this means you at least look at him, right? Like he's at least a decoy. If there's a fucking overhanging edge on your right tackle, he's probably blitzing and you don't slide the protection left. You pinch it at the, at the least you pinch it in or you slide it right. So I don't know what the fuck he was doing. He stared down his first read on the left. I don't know if he thought he could get the ball out quick before the linebacker got to him, but he could not. And he really fucking felt the consequences. And I've noticed yeah, no. that is the second or third time so far this preseason that Justin Fields has altered a protection leading to a free rusher. And he escaped it once for a nice little run. And he held onto the ball and got sacked in the first game on the same problem. But that's really bad. And that is not indicative of somebody who is mentally competent to handle the quarterback position which is a really bad sign for somebody whose biggest not coming out of college was thinks way too slow. I've heard that he's a fucking brilliant, charismatic dude off the field, but Ryan Fitzpatrick is a legitimate bona fide genius off the field. And when he plays football, he's a reckless idiot. So I don't care. Yeah, definitely. His, uh, that play that you're talking about, it reminded me a lot of, it was Cody Kessler when he was on the Jags a couple of years ago where it was like the exact same play, just the opposite side, whereas a guy, a rusher overhanging the left side, and they hiked the ball. Cody Kessler looked to the right side of the field and just got absolutely obliterated, like got a concussion. You know, they had to come help him off the field. You got posted all over Twitter, and people were coming out like, wow, the line really screwed up there. Like, how do they let that guy go? People came out and went, no, that's on the quarterback. Like, you have to make that pre-snap read. When you see a guy overhang like that, you know he's coming. Or at least have to check if he's coming and have your hot play ready to go to just get rid of it. And when you don't do that, you get your head taken off. Like, what happened to Fields this weekend and Cody Kessler, whatever the hell that was. I will say in Fields' defense, this was a C-plus performance for me just because – the pickable ball was the kind of thing that, like, it sucks and it's bad, but you can clean that up. 
like put a little bit more mustard on the throwaway and all of a sudden that's not a pickable. So, you know, that's a, that's a weak pickable. He did have the one great throw and his running, his running was impressive. He had three real nice runs. And honestly, I think if they just ran a chuck and duck Lamar Jackson style offense where it's predicated on him running and then also every once in a while he just goes deep with his cannon of an arm. I think that that could be effective. It's not the kind of offense I'd run long term, but it might be nice to just get him get his feet wet. Um, additionally, one more thing. He was late a significant amount on plays, whether it be his read or his throw was just late. And that's his Achilles heel. It's his favorite thing to do is be late on plays. But it wasn't nearly as his in his first game it was every fucking play like really it was almost every play in this game it only happened like five six times which is still way too much and not good but improvement also helps he was playing against the bills threes but you know this is the preseason and we need something to talk about exactly and any any progression you see from him is positive because it's what we've talked about since since you started scouting him which is he has all the tools in the world um, but he's slow and he needs to figure out how to read defenses and make decisive throws. Um, and it's going to take a while. So if you're already seeing improvement, yeah, against the threes, whatever, it's preseason, but so is the first game. Um, so any any improvement you see from him, I think, is a huge positive because he's on a long timeline. So you don't need him. You don't want him to play early and need to be able to do this. All right. We've done, we've done most of the things we have to do. So now I get to treat myself and talk about my homeboy, Davis Mills. <laughs> Did you watch any Davis Mills this weekend? Uh, I watched like a series. I got just a little taste of Davis. Yeah. Well, I, apparently that's all the Texans wanted you to see because they just really don't like letting him play football too much. Uh in the words of Paul Mooney, they'll let him have a little bit of fun, but not too much fun, or else they'll take him too. Um, it, it was another, it was a B performance. It was solid. That's the best of any, it's the best of any rookie quarterback this uh, this week. It's the second best grade I handed out besides Cam Newton. I did not grade James Winston because despite him being really fucking good, it kept, felt kind of redundant to grade him because what am I going to say? It turns out he actually was really good. Um, and also he's 20 fucking seven. He should look pretty good in the preseason. Um, anyhow, it was a good performance. It wasn't special. He, he nailed two really good throws because Davis Mills is an absolute assassin in the intermediate game. A lot like Eason, just a big kid with a big arm. And he's got plenty of zip on that ball. Um, he navigated the pocket pretty well, but again, they didn't let him do a ton. Half of his plays were cheap, or half of his dropbacks resulted in a cheap play, uh, a properly executed cheap play. That is, he had slightly more positive plays than negative plays, with 28% positive. He was accurate on 73% of his passes. It's good. It ain't great. I wanted a little bit more, but I'll take it. Um, this is against Dallas's twos and threes. You know, I don't know what that means, honestly, because. As I saw in Hard Knocks, they didn't have their defensive coordinator, and Micah Parsons is a dirty asshole in coverage. Uh, but now we know he likes dirty assholes, but that's another story. Oh, boy. Davis Mills, good, not great, didn't really get a chance to be much more than that. And finally, it's time for the one that everybody's talking about as a wunderkind, 
the reason people are actually thinking about betting on the Jets. Zach Wilson, huh? He came out, had a had a nice little game. I I will say this. I expected Zach Wilson to disappoint early just because I thought that adjusting from playing against Massachusetts and Coastal Carolina to playing against NFL players, albeit backups, would take him some time. And it, it hasn't. That said, you were a little more impressed with his performance, I think, than I was. Um, I gave him a B-. minus. I thought it was fine, but they didn't ask him to do shit. Basically, Zach Wilson's performance, in my mind, was what people think Baker Mayfield did all last year which is just roll out, throw the five yard out. Yeah, I I agree. They didn't ask him to do a ton, and it was definitely the play action heavy, bootleg heavy, just let him get into space and throw the ball, um, which people do criticize like crazy despite everyone doing it. Um, but what I was impressed with was that he moved well, he looked smooth in all of his motions, how he navigated the pocket, and he hit the receivers in stride really consistently. I think there was only one play that I saw that he was kind of late uh, and threw behind Corey Davis. And Corey Davis, it looked like he slowed down and then kind of half jumped, but he wasn't able to run with the ball. And so it just, you know, caught it for the eight yards and went down. But outside of that, it was it seemed like every play he was hitting the guy right in his chest or, you know, uh, a foot in front of it. So the guy could catch it and take off down the field. And so that was what impressed me was that not only is he moving and completing the passes, he was putting them in really good locations for his receivers. Um, And given that it is preseason, we're kind of going off crumbs here. So good placement and accurate throws are uh, are a huge positive as far as yeah. I, I certainly can't knock him. He did. I don't know if you remember that one twenty yard like back shoulder seam throw to the tight end right by the goal line. Mm-hmm. I like that because that was a really creative throw. He made a, he found a really. Uh, it's difficult for a lot of quarterbacks to find that angle and that open niche on a covered route. So the fact that he's thinking that quickly and he's got the confidence to improvise, that's really encouraging. That's one of the things the people like about really nice you. Too. Yeah, no, that was a really good play. I was he dropped really it encouraging. right in. I mean, the, the tight end paid for it a little bit, Yeah, but yeah. it was a touchdown. And Damn so near. you're going to I think it. they actually had to punch it in after that. Did they? I mean, um, it was the one, you know, fuck it. Regardless, so it was, it was a big time play. Um, and so you can, you take that a little bit and, and, Overall, he dropped it in for a completion at the goal line. Um, yeah. So that was- um, there was one play that was tough for me to grade. It might just – so I was kind of torn. It was a curl, left sideline. Uh, Wilson was a little bit late on it, put the ball a little too high. Sorry, a little too short. And uh, Eric Stokes blew that fucker up. And I almost wanted to call it an interceptable ball because Eric Stokes really – he was an inch or two from going six. But that was just a great play by Eric Stokes, who, uh, let's remember, PFF had as the second best cornerback on his own team, just behind Tyson Campbell, he of allowing every touchdown imaginable in the preseason so far with the Jaguars. Um, I actually, I graded that play very similar. Um, I gave him bad because I thought it was a weak throw that he was maybe a little late on, but 
it was crazy coverage and I was tempted to give him expected, even though it was almost picked off and taken the other way. Eric um, is fucking, he is so sticky at all yeah, times. He, he's just right in the back pocket. Yeah. And he just breaks so fast that even when it looks like the guy has a couple steps, he's just right back. That guy's going to be a really, really good cornerback in this league, especially if he gets ball skills, it's champ Bailey. Like he's that fast. And that good at staying in phase. He's he could be special. Yeah, because you all came here for. He will be the make or break though, because he has zero ball skills. No, he has no ball skills. But I know you all came here for cornerback breakdowns, not cornerback <laughs> breakdowns. So real quick, to wrap up our rookie report card, let's just make it three tiers. We've got oh nice. We've got whatever, and we've got reason to worry, like legit reason to worry. Reason to worry has to be Trevor Lawrence, who it's not all his fault. It's a lot his surroundings, but it does not look good. It looks really bad. Yeah, it looks like he's going to get David Card in week two of the preseason. You know, and he was my quarterback one in this draft kind of by default, but there were a lot of things to worry about with him coming out too. Like, he never really had to run a real grown-up offense. It was all high school shit. Mm -hmm. He was surrounded by ridiculous talent at all times. And he he has a really weird trajectory on his ball that just trips me up and tweaks me out because it leads to a lot of floated balls that lead – and floated balls are how you get picked off. And uh, now instead of having elite surroundings, he's got truly abysmal ones. Instead of Mm -hmm. having a high school rinky-dink easy offense, he's got – something worse somehow and honestly (laughs) the trajectory of his ball is the least of his worries right now because he can't even get it to go where he wants and he can't stand up and his receivers can't really catch and his coach can't seem to figure out that five people are allowed to run routes per play it's it's gonna be a long year in jacksonville speaking of long years kellen mond is not going to be the answer in minnesota and that leaves 18 weeks for Kirk Cousins to try to not get close to somebody who gets COVID. The Vikings are fucked. Bet the under on the Vikings win total, if only because there's a chance, a substantial chance, that Kirk Cousins misses a game. And that means Kellen Mond plays, which means they lose. They will not win a game with Kellen Mond this year. I promise this. Unless they play like the Lions or the Bengals or the Texans or the Jaguars. After this right, week, so... those are my only two that I'm concerned about. Okay. I was um, really – who are you impressed with? Um, I mean, Zach Wilson. I already talked about it. Again, you know, it's preseason. No one's showing all that much. Um, but Zach Wilson, everything they asked him to do, he excelled at. Um, he wasn't – it wasn't just Mac Jones where he was completing the passes, but his receivers were having to work for it a little bit. He was truly putting the ball in perfect location and letting his receivers go run. Um, So he was the one I was most impressed with. I was impressed with Zach Wilson. Um, He was a, uh, so when I grade these quarterbacks, I have like a whole big chart of, uh, of all of my college grades ever. And there's a, there's a line on there that says uh, plus quarterbacks. And these are like dudes who you draft them and think like they could be better than a replacement starter. And he's just over that threshold. He's a, he got a 2.4 grade and a 2.3 is basically that line. And I thought that week two of the preseason, albeit against backups, albeit a very easy throw list, 
I think that he basically did that. He was slightly above average, not special, but he didn't fuck you. And he's got a little bit of that moxie, a little bit, you know, he changes his arm angles. He likes to run around that, that back shoulder fade that he figured out. He gets it. So I was impressed with him, but my most impressive quarterback shocker was Davis Mills. I think he eked out Zach Wilson just by a skosh. And it literally came down to Zach Wilson had two great throws and one solid throw. Davis Mills had two great throws and two solid throws. It was that narrow of a gap for me. Um, that, that, I mean, that's it. I, nobody, it, it was not a great week. You know, week one was much more fun because you have Eason tearing it the fuck up. Davis Mills looked really good. This week was kind of more like who, who didn't really upset me to watch. Yeah, that they, it's just classic preseason football for the other guys. They they looked fine. They they'll go anywhere from being not great to kind of bad. All right, it's time for overreaction news. So here's the test for if we're overreacting. We're gonna hear the thing that we might be overreacting to. We're gonna give our quick off the cuff opinion, and then we're gonna try to figure out if we can bet on it. And if we can't, it doesn't fucking matter, and it should go through one ear and out the other. But if we can, then we're cooking with gas. Uh, Joe, you want to take it away with our new, very, very rich man out in Seattle way, Jamal Adams? Okay, overreaction to Jamal Adams' $70 million contract over four years? I don't know. Dude's getting paid like $18, $19 million a year to be a very bad safety. I think it's the worst contract in NFL history. I really fucking do. I think they just took a dude who cannot cover at all and actually misses way more tackles than you would think and gave him elite edge rusher edge rusher money so that he could get eight sacks on blitzes and have a negative impact on the defense he plays with because he is good at things that don't help you win. It's like Jarvis Landry. Like, yes, Jarvis Landry gets you lots of catches, but every time you throw the ball to Jarvis Landry, it should have gone somewhere else because Jarvis Landry is losing you yards on the margin. It's the same shit. Every time you have a dude who cannot fucking cover at all and you have to blitz your safety, you are losing because a good safety is playing coverage. And, I mean, the Seahawks are in a fucked spot where their best pass rusher is Jamal Adams. But if that's the case, play him at defensive end. Like, get him some fucking Happy Meals. Maybe that contract would be worth it. Yeah, I Am mean, I $18 million a year for a top-flight pass rusher is actually a pretty great deal at this point. Well, is he top flight or is he Joe Tryon, which is just a fucking speed rusher that can't be touched if he expects to have any success? We're getting ahead of ourselves. So can we bet on Jamal Adams being the worst contract ever? No. And Jamal Adams is a safety. So the Seahawks didn't fucking get any uh, more expensive to bet on because of this signing. And he was already on the fucking team. So this changes absolutely fucking nothing. And the Seahawks are who we thought they were because they are exactly who we thought they were, very literally. So, yeah, this is definitely one where it was a terrible choice. I don't know if worst contract in the history of sports or in in NFL history is most accurate um, just because he is a valuable player. Is he? But I think he is because one perception is reality. People think he's incredible. So they play different when he's on the field Mm -hmm. Um, Two, he is very versatile in that he can go and rush rush the passer and get sacks, or he can go and at least run around in coverage and look like he's doing something. Um, So he is a valuable player, not anywhere near that valuable. And I agree with you in that 
no matter how good he is at the other stuff, he's still not a good safety because he can't cover. Um, but there's value in the contract. You, you do bring up an, an excellent point, and it's something that we always tell each other and also always forget, which is that perception is reality. Uh, this is not to say that Jamal Adams is good because people say he's good. This is to say people think Jamal Adams is an elite safety. So when they play Jamal Adams, they treat him like an elite safety, and they fuck up their own game plan in fear. Uh, this is like when you have a washed wide receiver who can't fucking do anything, <clears throat> Jarvis Landry. And having him out there actually does provide some value, even though he's not good, simply because it takes a top corner away from another wide receiver and opens up space. So I see your point, but again... This is all completely fucking meaningless, and what one man makes on his paycheck shouldn't really matter to us. Unless it's the Browns or Bears, in which case we will fucking pick apart every inch of that contract. Right. We'll sit here looking at each yearly breakdown in the void years, talking about uh, contracts that won't even matter or be on the team by the time they come due. Speaking of the Browns, Malik McDowell is hashtag back. He had a sack and an extremely high PFF grade against the Giants this past weekend. Alex, your yeah, overreaction. I, yeah, I think uh, his PFF grade was like 91.4 or in, in that range, which is absurd. And again, I don't take too much of what PFF grade against the third string Giants line, who's notably horrible, um, means all that much. However, I think the biggest obstacle with Malik McDowell has always been his head and whether he's mentally in the right space and, you know, whether it's the substance abuse issues and apparently he has fixed all of that. And if you look at him as purely a football prospect, he is a 25 year old. That was a former first round pick that would have been the first defensive tackle off the board in this draft without a doubt. Um, he's humongous and he's athletic. He can play all up and down the defensive line. He can pass rush and he can play the run. If his head is right, he is a top end defensive tackle and he should be taking 50% of the snaps halfway through the year. Okay. So one for all intents and purposes, we're assuming he is not currently criming. No armed robberies going on in this hypothetical analysis this is an important assumption to make and not necessarily a reasonable one given his past but we're assuming not armed robbing okay let's also assume he is everything you said he is he is everything he was at michigan state when he was dominant looking like jeffrey simmons out there does this change anything for the browns um i mean i think in my own personal heart yes because my anxiety <laughs> will be much lower um knowing that there is a competent defensive tackle that can step in when inevitably the browns defense starts dropping like flies like happens every year um but realistically yeah it probably doesn't change all that much like, because way i'm looking at i it. like i like the current defensive tackles the starters i think malik jackson is fine that is actually pretty similar to malik McDowell. yes um and that he's kind of a tweener that can play all all up and down the line has some pass rush juice yeah the the issue is malik McDowell can be great all he fucking wants but one defensive tackle a defense does not make and a defense a good team does not make so we're a couple of protractions away from this mattering too much and uh 
a defensive line that already has Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney. The rest is kind of just gravy. It's fine. I we gonna we gonna bet on the Browns. We're gonna take that extra point on the spread because Malik McDowell could be good as a third string defensive tackle. He he will clearly be a second string defensive tackle. <laughs> um, Depends on yeah, your Yes. Rationally, yeah, you're right. It it probably has zero bearing on uh, on any betting strategy, but emotionally, it has a very large bearing. Really noted. Will it have the same bearing when he is doing crimes again? Um, as he's wanting for, <laughs> for a quick minute where I experienced that that quick uh, Browns disappointment that I grew up with. But then, yeah, it'll probably return to getting excited about a different project the Browns bring up. All right. That was today's edition of being a Browns fan is like being a heroin addict, only slightly more morbid. <laughs> Should we move on to the Patriots news? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I feel like I'm in a good spot. <laughs> uh, so I heard uh, another person that probably isn't in a very good spot right now, uh, Cam Newton, after a great preseason game, is uh, is maybe a little sick. Yeah, I, I love this so goddamn much because it seemed all, if you've been paying attention to Patriots camp, which you probably shouldn't because it means nothing, Cam Newton had looked bad and Mac Jones had looked fairly good. And somehow Cam Newton continued to get the lion's share of the starting snaps and start both of the preseason games, which leads you to believe that they're looking for any fucking reason to give this starting job to Cam, whether it's because he's a locker room hit, which you know he is, that charismatic fucking personality cultist, or it's just because he's the veteran and they want to give Mac Jones time. It it really seems like the Patriots were bending over backwards to hand him this job. And then finally, for the first time in almost a calendar year, Cam Newton looked more than competent on an NFL football field. He looked good against Philly. I mean, again, it's Philly and a lot of their backups, and Philly is a terrible team this year. I have them in the bottom five, I think maybe bottom three. But And yeah, it was nine throws, which is not a very significant sample size. But it was nine fairly good throws with one bad one in there. Uh, So eight good throws. But when you're looking for any fucking reason to give this guy the starting job and he finally does something right, it might. And it's the end of the preseason. I think Cam probably had that job wrapped up. And then this motherfucker goes out and violates COVID protocols, missing almost a fucking week. I don't know the details. I'm not here to fucking rant about getting vaxxed or not. I'm not here to fucking besmirch his responsibility because I don't know what the hell happened. But all I know is getting popped for COVID because of something that he chose to do in going out and violating rules. I think it gave Mac Jones another shot at winning this otherwise sewn up quarterback competition. And after today's news, I think he's going to win it. We'll get to this a little bit later, but apparently... Mac Jones tore up the Giants' backups and starters in practice. And apparently that means something. So I think Mac Jones is probably going to start now because Cam got COVID. And I think Mac Jones is slightly better than Cam. But that begs the question, am I overreacting? I don't know. Can we bet on this, Joe? See, the problem is I had already been factoring in the better quarterback of the two starting this year, which is still a below-average starter. And I think that it's Mac Jones, as I said last week on the first podcast. But either way, I think the Patriots have a bad quarterback, and I think they're averaged coached, and I think their roster is pretty good, but not great enough to transcend those things. So probably not, although we may have an angle that's tangential. 
if it turns out that Mac Jones gets fucking silly hype and moves that line. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I don't think it, it moves the needle in actual football matters, but in how people think it will change um, in that people are relatively down on Cam after last year. I think a lot of people kind of came back and gave him that shot last year. And then when he wasn't great and then had COVID and then really was bad, um, a lot of people kind of threw on the towel on him, whereas Mac has gotten a lot of that hype. And I don't know if it will happen, but I could very possibly see people hype the the Patriots if Mac continues on this route because people want the Patriots to be good. They want Belichick to be at the top so they can talk about him and everyone can hate him. So I feel like they'll hype up, oh, you know, Bill did it again and found another unathletic, just random dude to come in but can dice up a defense. So I could see that happening, and that would definitely, I agree, that would be our angle. But I don't know how realistic it is. I saw a fucking tweet from NBC Sports Boston that went through and counted and said through Tom Brady's first two preseason games, he had, I don't know the exact number, but I think it was like 36 passing attempts. And through Mac Jones's first two preseason games, he also had 36 passing attempts. So when we're at that level of serendipity, clearly I'm missing something. Mac Jones is going to be fucking elite. Yes, uh, the, uh, the stars are aligning. Bill is doing his uh, his number tricks to uh, unlock whatever chi he needs to. He's trying to tell us something. I love that when it comes to Bill Belichick, every pundit about football just becomes your eighth grade English teacher. And like, oh, the color of the curtains is blue. And that's because the author is trying to convey sadness to you. Like, no, actually, it's just curtains and they're blue. It's probably grease and that like everything's blue and grease. Meanwhile... Bill Belichick gave him 36 passing steps. Maybe Bill Belichick's running the same shit he was running 20 years ago because Bill Belichick isn't that fucking creative and loves the smell of his own farts. Maybe. Maybe it's a fucking coincidence. Maybe even if Bill Belichick was trying to tell us that Mac Jones was the second coming of Brady, we shouldn't fucking listen to him because this dude loved Ryan Mallet. So maybe shut the fuck up. Speaking of shut the fuck up, the Patriots traded Sony Michelle to the fucking Rams for like a fourth round pick. Shut the fuck up, because that is ridiculous. Why would anyone give up a fourth-round pick for a running back that's about to get cut and hasn't been good since he was Nick Chubb's secondary running back? When you can get rid of the draft picks that you so desperately need because you trade them all away for mids and bad contracts, and then you can get the third-best running back on your own roster for that valuable pick, you have to do it. I mean, really, how would the Rams function if they didn't have a person to back up Jake Funk, their backup running back, with a name that people knew? Not a good running back or anything, just one that people knew of. I you know, I saw something that the the Browns' fourth running back, well, I guess technically fifth if you're counting Demetric Felton, um, John Kelly, uh, who wears number 49, uh, and had a touchdown and a couple nice runs in the Browns preseason game last weekend. And I was seeing people float the idea of the Browns trading him to the Rams because their running back situation is so bad. And I think that actually would have been a better choice for them well, than trading think, for the man with paper mache knees, Sony Michelle. I think that to the extent it was ever a good idea for the Rams to trade for this running back, Kelly, because their running backs were bad, that point still stands. In fact, I think they might need him more now 
time for them to dish out another future first round pick. <laughs> is there a team that makes less sense than the Rams? Because they have a great quarterback and a great head coach, but somehow the extremely wealthy team in Los fucking Angeles has the worst branding and PR. They can't figure out how to make a jersey or a logo or a slogan or anything. They can't figure out how to hold on to a first round pick. They can't figure out how to sign a fucking deal of a contract. And then now they're fucking throwing decent picks away at Sony fucking Michelle. Is there any way we can get at this? Um, Unfortunately, I don't think so because this will be a classic case of we're higher on the Rams than most people are, I would say. And this makes the Rams, I don't know if it makes them worse, but it definitely doesn't make them better. And you might have people now being like, oh, the Rams got Sony Michelle. Again, I don't know if anyone has really that opinion of him, but I think if anything, it's just going to close the gap between what we think of the Rams and what everyone else thinks of the Rams, um, which makes it less profitable for us. But it's, it's not it's like also, we're going to fade the Rams. I was going to say, it's also one of those great fucking situations where even if we try to just like single out Sony Michelle and get at him exclusively by betting props, he's got Sean fucking McVay. Like, he's going to produce something if he gets snaps. Now, if he gets snaps, terrible process. They, they wasted a pick, and clearly they don't know how to evaluate football players. But process doesn't fucking matter in the short term. The great thing about that fourth-round pick is that it's it literally cannot be anything for another nine, ten months. So, unfortunately, this is just another case of the NFL not letting us have nice things. We, we finally find a team with a great head coach and a great quarterback. And it turns out that they're run like fucking shit and their jerseys are ghastly. So even though I live 15 minutes from the stadium, I can't be a fan of them. Yeah, it is definitely another instance of the NFL giving us small morsels, but then slapping us um, because it is like Brian Tannehill. Perfect example. Finally gets out of Miami, gets to showcase that he's a good uh, quarterback, has some success, but is constantly hindered by the run the football deity that is Mike Rabel. Um, and even with Julio and AJ Brown, which is objectively absurd as a wide receiver core. That's a really good core. Yeah. Like he has, he has a, Ryan Tannehill has a decent offensive line, a really strong run, run game to take pressure off of him. And then two top 10 wide receivers. Depending on how Julio ages. Right. But it, no matter what, you have two elite receivers that are clear number ones. Um, but his coach is going to continue to uh, run the ball and handicap him. And punt from the offensive side of the field. (laughs) I've never been in so much pain as I was losing that Titans over Ravens bet in the playoffs last year. The only game, the only game I lost betting in the entire playoffs. There were four turnovers in that game that were squarely on Vrabel's shoulders. But tell me and about how you can punt from their 43-yard line in a critical, uh, what was it, under like five minutes left in the game? I mean, hey, listen, you can kick the field goal and get three points, or you can give them back the ball and not get points, but feel great about yourself. That's... And that's just the Mike Vrabel way, man. If if you don't like it, you don't, you don't like Titan football. I really fucking don't, and I haven't for a really long time because they keep on hiring gym teachers that have no penis. All right. Speaking of having no penis, why don't we go for a stroll in the public square? I don't know about that segue, but... uh, (laughs) The public square is a segment where we're going to take public figures and we're just going to bitch about the extremely square shit that they say. 
It's cathartic, and every once in a while we might find a bet. Colin Cowherd had a take last week. So he had the take that Baker Mayfield and Gardner Minshew are essentially the same quarterback. Um, I I don't listen to Cowherd really because I think whether he's just been in it too long or he just looks for clicks, a lot of things he says, I don't think he even really means. He's just saying inflammatory stuff, kind of like Stephen A, but lighter. Um, I was going to say the whitest version of Stephen A. Yeah, it's just like watered down Stephen A. Of he, it's not as hot of takes, um, and it's how I think he gets people to engage is because they're just absurd enough. Either way, this is the first thing from Coward I've seen in a while, and it just reinforced why I don't watch Coward. <laughs> um, because he compared Gardner Minshew and Baker Mayfield, talking about their college careers, which were wildly different, um, even if their stats were similar. Um, one played at Wazoo and one played at Oklahoma. Um, they're wildly different competition. And then next, he was using career comparisons of stats, which is just the silliest thing over the course of three years when Gardner Minshew has regressed every year and Baker has been in awful situations and had the 2019 year that seems to be largely a fluke um, born from the most incompetent coaching since Hugh Jackson. It's funny you bring that up, actually, because I did a little bit of digging on stats, which is something that you know I hate to do. I don't believe in stats. They're almost always bullshit. There are so few parallel stats out there that actually get at what you want them to. It's just not even worthwhile, especially if you're going to actually watch tape, which unfortunately I do way, way, way too often. So this preseason, Gardner Minshew is dealing with a new offense. He no longer has Jay Gruden or John Filippo serving him up plays. And in this preseason, against backups, oftentimes using the Jaguars' starting wide receivers, he is 17 of 29, which is good for 58.6% completion. In Baker Mayfield's season under Freddie Kitchens, one of the least prepared coaches to ever walk the face of the earth, the man actually might not have known where he was most of the time. In that terrible season that had people thinking Baker Mayfield might be a bust, nonsensically. Baker Mayfield was completing 59.4% of his passes, almost a full percentage point better than Gardner Minshew has done this year against backups. Gardner Minshew has thrown for 196 yards or 6.75 yards per attempt. Baker Mayfield threw for 7.2 yards per attempt that year. By the way, these are all career lows for Baker Mayfield, and they are beating the shit out of Gardner Minshew against backups. Uh, Gardner Minshew has zero touchdowns in Baker Mayfield's worst season. He averaged a touchdown and a half per game. Gardner Minshew has two interceptions. Baker Mayfield in his worst interception season averaged 1.3 interceptions per game. All of this is good for a 50.36 passer rating against backups for Gardner Minshew. Baker Mayfield had a 78.8 passer rating, which sucks and is about 20 points lower than Baker Mayfield usually does. And it still almost doubles Gardner Minshew against backups. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here. Aside from Colin Cowherd, you dirty piece of shit. And don't think I forgot about you, Mike Lombardi, having the exact same fucking take last June. You fat fucking asshole with your fucking Sopranos references. It's not even that good. Well, we can we think... relax on that. <laughs> that show's incredible. I'm like three episodes in and I'm waiting to be intrigued. I really just want to kill it... Tony Soprano's mother. 
well that 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 feeling will stick around the entire time anyways <laughs> i think that the actual lesson to be learned other than we're now making the same t- fucking sopranos references that mike lombardi's fat ass makes <laughs> get covid you cow i think that the takeaway <laughs> fuck i think i just wished death on an old man uh <laughs> I, not not the, a lot of karma points today. The motherfucking takeaway is that John Filippo and Jay Gruden were spinning up some really nice offenses because they were moving the ball and scoring points with Gardner fucking Minshew, who is a below average backup, clearly. So, I mean, Filippo is assisting in Chicago and Jay Gruden is assisting in no longer Oakland, but now Las Vegas. Shout out to the Black Roomba their stadium but we may see upticks in the offensive output from both of those teams and while i know that people are not uh so thrilled about matt Nagy as i am at least have faith in the fact that he seems to have assembled the greatest offensive coordinators of 2017 tom herman di filippo bill laser between them and him they have to be able to scheme up some good plays especially with a competent quarterback and i know that today Nagy said that it takes three years for his offense to really hit its stride, which is not a great thing to say, especially when none of the coaches or players in your offense were here three years ago. But I'm going to simply ignore that he said that sentence (laughs) because I can't make any sense of it whatsoever. And I'm just going to hope and assume that he is taking some input from his stacked stable of offensive play callers and a little of that Gardner Minshew magic from last year and the year prior will rub off on Andy Dalton, who is kind of like if Gardner Minshew shot steroids directly into his throat for a couple of years. Thoughts on my diatribe? I think it's a, a swinging pendulum here of Filippo and Jay Gruden were good coaches, but also now Gardner Minshew is in that hell, that <laughs> Urban Meyer's offensive room. Yeah. Um, so I think not only is you know, Gardner having trouble because he doesn't have those positive influences, but he also has all of this horrible influence now um, that just can't be good. But regardless, he doesn't have the arm strength or just the general ability to be a consistent quarterback. I think it's everyone was just excited because of the the attitude and that he was competent his rookie year. He also, um, I mean, you're right, he looks cool. Oh yeah, and he seems like a great guy, and he just seems like a, he's a character out of a movie. I mean, with the jorts and the mustache and the mullet, like he's out of an '80s movie that he's shotgunning beers and like inviting all the people to parties. Fuck you, Colin Cowherd, and fuck you, Mike Lombardi. You sacks of shit. Stop lying to me. Gardner Minshew does not equal Baker Mayfield. Okay, next segment: the penultimate. So- <laughs> the next segment, Define the Narratives, which is a segment where we're going to take national narratives, talk about, you know, whatever ESPN is pushing that week. And one, if we think it's accurate, and two, how we can benefit from that take. I mean, this is half so, of sports betting right here is just figuring out what the perception is and how fucking terrible it is. Exactly. So this is kind of the real the, the money part of the podcast. But without any further ado, we can jump in to this week's Define the Narratives, which is that the New England Patriots are a hoss of a team. 
Dude, they're getting a lot of fucking gas. I, okay, I know. I know that we just went over how he's a big fucking swinging asshole. But Colin Cowherd bumped the Patriots up an entire win on his win total projections because they beat the shitty Eagles backups in the preseason. And Mac Jones looked semi-palatable doing so. I don't, I don't know, man. Again, we've got people like... Uh, the infamous R.J. Bell on the Dream Preview and straight out of Vegas saying, you know, New England, their quarterbacks are looking good. That quarterback situation might not be so bad. And Tua really sucks in Miami, which I'll grant them, Tua does suck. Dude, I am not willing to think that the New England Patriots are going to be a legitimate contender because they have young Andy Dalton and an average to above average coach and a decent to good roster. I... I actually like New England's roster. I really do. I think that their wide receivers have become decent. Their offensive line is legitimately great. Running backs don't matter. Their secondary, while old, is still really good. And then the way that Belichick plays defense, like just defensive line and linebackers don't really matter. It just doesn't come into the concept because they play such like a bend-don't-break style. But there's a good argument that they're the third best team in their own division. But, yeah, I think they're they're pretty squarely in that third spot to me. In in unless either Mac Jones really is awesome or Tua is just like so incomprehensibly bad that he holds back all the talent. Yeah, as low as I am on Tua, I don't think he can be worse than last year, just because I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback that was. And I don't think that the Dolphins will let him keep playing if he is that bad because Jacoby Brissett is a competent backup. In fact, Jacoby Brissett is very similar in caliber to Mac Jones, which is part of why I don't think that New England is going fucking anywhere with this backup caliber quarterback who is admittedly better than Cam, who is a not good backup caliber quarterback. Am I crazy to think that betting the Patriots on the under and fading them on a weekly basis is a good idea? Uh, no, you're not crazy at all. I think that is uh, 100% what we should do. I agree with you that their roster is very solid. Actually, like when I go on their dart, I'm pretty impressed because their offense is really well-rounded. Like built kind of insult and that their line's really strong. They have some deep tight ends um, and they have good rare wide receivers, um, but they're missing the most important part in a quarterback. And on top of that, they're in a tough division with a coach that's on the downhill. Um, it's still Belichick, so his defense will be great, but I think he's definitely feeling of the greatest quarterback ever leaving and will continue to feel that until stumbles are or retires. All right, so guess what the line is, Patriots hosting Dolphins. Don't look it up. All right, first game in Foxborough. Bill Belichick advantage. Uh, I'm going to go Dolphins minus two. Patriots minus three, minus 110. So it's an even bet, Patriots minus three. Really? So Miami and New England are the same talent level. Assuming that they're still using three points for home field advantage, which I think they probably are. Yeah. That is crazy to me. So we know, I mean, the Patriots' best asset is their incredible secondary. But, like, the Dolphins have a better secondary, probably. At least close. And, I say it's better. like, the Dolphins' biggest weakness is that Tua sucks dicks. 
but I can't imagine that Mac Jones is going to light the fucking world on fire in week one against a tough defense. I mean, they're really similar, honestly. I mean, Mac's a yeah. little bit better. It's the but... Battle of Alabama. I mean, they are they put up damn near identical stats. Yeah, Jones I mean, they both better, have but... really good deep balls, despite not having actually very good arms. Um, they're decent in short, but not really that great. And, I mean, Tua runs a little better. Mac's probably a little more accurate, but they're really similar. I, I legitimately believe that Mac is significantly better, but not good. I don't think either of these teams is scoring the fucking football on offense. Now, I think that they could run the ball, and I think that the Dolphins are better set up to do that. But And that's partially just because I don't think that the Patriots' front seven can run with anybody. So You mean that you don't trust the Patriots' run defense? Yeah, I, they're slow. Like, their linebackers, Jawan Bentley and Dante Hightower – I'm pretty sure I can outrun them at this at this particular moment in time. <laughs> and their defensive line, they're going to roll out Matt Judon, who is just the epitome of replaceable. They're going to roll out, hopefully, if they're smart, they'll roll out Chase Winovich, but I don't think they're smart. And then their defensive tackles are just guys. You know, they might use Kyle Van Noy as like a blitzbacker, but I'm not impressed. So I don't know how the fuck... First of all, I think three points is going to be massively important in this absolute shootout. And uh, I... Where where are we like what do the Patriots do so much better than the Miami Dolphins that they that they are a field goal better? Like throw out home field advantage. It's the same fucking team. Miami's a little bit better version, and we get a field goal in a low scoring game because of it. I mean, there there's been a lot of talk that the Miami O line has struggled, whereas the and they'll Patriots probably O-line, suck. Yeah, whereas the Patriots O line is a strength. Um but I still like Miami's playmakers more. I, love I like Miles. Receivers. I like Miles Gaskins. I love Waddle. I like Devonte Parker. Um, they they just have a ton of speed, and I think that will that'll hurt New England too because New England's slow. Even their even their secondary that's really good. They're still slow. That's very true. Um, and Miami is just all speed. Will Fuller is not playing because PEDs. Of course, but still, I mean, I don't know. He's just never playing. Jalen Waddle, Miles Gaskins, and I mean, Devontae Parker's on a speed demon, but he's so fast. Um, don't they have? They have another fast guy, don't they? Or no, they got rid of Chris Conley, didn't they? I was gonna say, uh, oh no, they have Albert Wilson still, who was good. Oh like, yeah, three years ago, and hasn't played since. Yeah, I remember when he kept getting hurt, but yeah, I mean, he's fast. They got a lot of speed. They do have deep speed. Um, they've also got. I don't know if Jakeem Grant's gonna make the team. But he's very, very fast, too. Um, meanwhile, the Patriots do not have speed anywhere. Offense, defense, anywhere. They're actually yeah, a uniquely slow. They're a uniquely slow team. I don't know. I don't love this bet as much as I thought I might, but I like it. Yeah, no, I, I like it, too. Um, because exactly what you said, three points is huge in this game. Um, I think the, the biggest worry I would have is that Tua throws, like, a pick six and has a bad fumble that basically gives up another touchdown. Um, just because I can 100% see the Patriots defense and Belichick baiting the shit out of him. Um, more so than that happening to Mac Jones, although Mac is probably pretty prone to it as well. But I just think Tua is a bigger, he's a bigger uh, kind of boomer bust for me. 
You know, I this is going to sound crazy, but I think if Jalen Phillips were actually playing, I would feel really comfortable with Miami because they would be able to get legitimate pressure on Mac, and Mac is not going to be able to handle that. As it stands, I'll probably bet on Miami, but it's not as much of a lockdown slam dunk as my very favorite bet for week one, which I've already made. I made today, actually. Should yeah, I, what bet's that? Yeah, go ahead. Enlighten us. I've been eyeing this bet for a good month, but I finally tossed down on it. I got a thousand on the New Orleans Saints plus three at minus 105 odds, hosting the Green Bay Packers. And I got another thousand on the money line at plus 140. And I'm fucking thrilled. I'm counting this money already. Hot take of the week. So, hot take of the week is going to be a segment where we bring in hot takes that we've cooked up over the last week and we try to see if we really mean them. And if we really mean them, how do we bet them? So given your big bet, and and I feel like you've been telling me about this bet for even longer than a month. I feel like you've been talking about this since like free agency started. Why do you like the Saints so much in this uh, in this game? All right. So we already saw the Saints and the Packers play last year. And it was a close enough game that the true the winner of the game is not truly predictive, right? But some things have changed. Namely, the Saints have gotten rid of Drew Brees and they've replaced him with James Winston. Or at least if they haven't replaced him with James Winston, something has gone tragically wrong. And there's probably something going on at a Publix or a dorm room in Tallahassee. Uh, I legitimately believe that James Winston will be a significant upgrade from Drew Brees last year. And that is the crux of this bet. I think that last year these teams were close to even. I've got the home team. I've got the hook. And by the hook, I mean the entire field goal hook. And I've got a better quarterback than the Saints had last year. And for all the departures that people talk about with the Saints, I don't think they're missing much. So, yes, they lost Trey Hendrickson. But they got Peyton Turner, their either first or high second round draft pick, who's a decent, solid defensive end. And they also have Marcus Davenport, who isn't good, but is athletic. So it's not like they're going to be hurting on the defensive end. Additionally, they are without their star defensive tackle. I don't know if star, but he's a very good defensive tackle, uh, Anyamata. He is suspended for PEDs, I think. But they're deep at defensive tackle, and Peyton Turner can, you know, he can slide in and play defensive tackle as well. So I'm not worried. And again, you know, the difference between a great defensive tackle and a good one usually isn't that big, unless we're talking like Aaron Donald, and we're not. Their secondary is pretty much the same. Yes, they lost Janoris Jenkins, but is that so much of a loss anymore? The dude's like 32, 33. He's old. So they kept their secondary together for the most part. Their defensive end, yes, they lost a good one, a very good one, but they have good backups or replacements rather. And they lost their Hall of Fame quarterback, but I think they got a lot better at quarterback. If for no other reason, then Jameis Winston can actually throw the ball deep. And Drew Brees at the end there, it was legitimately hard to watch because aside from the fact that he was just straight up bad, he limited what you could call as an offensive coordinator. And Sean Payton's an offensive genius, but when you castrate him by saying everything has to be within 15 yards of the line of scrimmage, there's only so much you can do. So now you add to this, the deep element, it opens up everything. And just look at how difficult it was for Tom Brady to put together a decent offense in 2019 with the Patriots on account of the Patriots having nobody who could separate deep. This dinks and dunks, it's tough. It's what Adam Gase does, and it's why his offenses no longer work. You got to have somebody who stretches the field and it's just as important to have a quarterback who can throw downfield as it is to have a wide receiver who can run downfield. And no, I don't think Michael Thomas is a loss because 
he can't get downfield himself. He is he is slant boy for a reason. And I don't give a shit if he's there for the Saints because I think Lil Jordan Humphrey is 90% of the same thing. Furthermore, I think the Green Bay Packers were a little bit of a fugazi last year in that Aaron Rodgers was not very good for five or for about five years. And then last year has a quote unquote MVP year. Well, I watched every fucking snap and the dude hardly did anything beyond what was expected. 52% of his yards came after the catch. I don't expect that to continue because I just simply don't think I, I don't think it can. That's unprecedented. Additionally, as good as Devonte Adams is, I don't think he's the best wide receiver in the league. And last year he sure played like that. So I think they caught, you know, the high end of some variance right there. I think they got kind of lucky. I think their defense kind of sucks, even though I really love Eric Stokes and think he'll be a massive upgrade at the second corner. I don't think they can get real pressure, at least without blitzing. And finally, if you give me the choice between Sean Payton with time to prepare and uh, whichever LaFleur this is with time to prepare, I'm taking Payton because the best thing you can say about LaFleur is that he's a disciple of Kyle Shanahan and runs a solid, predictable, legitimate offense. You know, it, it's never going to light the world on fire. It's not flashy, but it's something, and it's always something, and it's it's easy. It's simple. Sean Payton's a fucking whiz kid. And by whiz kid, I mean a whiz old man. He's a genius, and he's got all offseason to play him, and I think he's going to come out swinging, and I think it's going to be, at the very least, a close game. So if the Packers win by a field goal, I get half my money back. I'll take that. It's my favorite bet of the week to start the season. And frankly, I like it money line just as much as I like it with the – with the three points. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you on on most parts there. I don't know if Jameis will be, I think he'll, you know, he'll be improved from what he was in Tampa um, because Sean Payton is that good and will create an offense that is more tailored to limiting some of his mistakes compared to Bruce Arians, which was, I don't really care, fucking throw it. Um, so he will be better, uh, but it's still Jameis and he's still going to, turn the ball over and do some inexplicably dumb stuff. Um, but it probably will be better than Breeze last year, simply because Breeze, I mean, exactly what you said, Breeze couldn't throw more than 20 yards down the field. Um, and everything that he could throw was still just like a floating ball, just hoping that it didn't get picked off every time. And I agree with you largely that the the defense won't suffer much. I I worry about that second corner position. Um, because as far as I've read and seen it really, no one else, no one has like really jumped to take it. It's kind of just Marshawn Lattimore and then nothing. Um, luckily I think they have the talent in the secondary and with their linebackers that they can cover up for that a little bit, but corner is a hard position to completely cover up. So I worry there. I don't really worry as much about the, the line. I think Peyton Turner will do well, especially when you're on the other side of Cam Jordan, you're going to have an easier time and then I agree with you on the Packers largely I still think that Rodgers to a certain extent he will continue to be very successful um, just because it it just seems like that's what's going to happen Um, I don't think it'll be on the same plane as last year but it'll be in between last year and the the probably three years before that where he really kind of fell off um, because I think he's kind of given in to playing more of that, that boot uh, play action game where he doesn't be hero all the time and he can pick his spots where he drops in those nice deep balls. Um, but 
they're gonna be worse. I still think they were lucky a lot um, last year in certain things and some of their injuries. Um, and it's another year of the offense or the offensive line losing a star and getting older and Bakhtiari coming back. Uh, so I like the Saints. Plus, I think it's just fun because I think everyone's really undervaluing them. Um, so I don't know quite if it's my favorite bet, but I like the bet a lot, and I think it's a very fun bet to make. Well, everybody knows they don't count how much money you make. They count how much fun you had making it, right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my uh, favorites to root for have been my most heartbreaking losses. Shout out Bills with the Hail Murray. But <laughs> I think that's a good – I think that's a wrap for this week's podcast. I don't – I'm sorry to disappoint everybody, but I'm not going to get into – betting on the week three in preseason football when I don't know who thinks this is dress rehearsal and I don't know who thinks this is rest all your starters. So, you know, I may tweet out some some last second bets, be on the lookout for that, but dude, it's fucking tough at this point. Um, yeah, I don't know how you do it in general, um, but especially this week, man, I would I would not touch anything with a 10-foot pole. Just you have no idea who's going to play. You have no idea who's going to play. You have no idea who's going to actually give a shit about playing. You know, there are some teams like the Bears are going to sit a lot of their starters but does that mean that they're going to like legitimately try and call like some real schemed up plays for their backups i don't know so enjoy week three of the preseason it probably means nothing all i know is in two weeks we got real football and we already got our first bet new orleans saints over green bay packers i love this because this this podcast is going to be almost exactly what we do every week during the football season anyway when you call me and we pontificate about the card of any given week for like two hours. We're just going to try to polish that up, shorten it up. And I'm going to be cutting out a lot of my uh, wishing death upon old Italian men. <laughs> They're uh, yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a good run of just going game to game and getting, getting excited and talking about each bet and each uh, storyline for the week. Um, it'll definitely be fun to record it and keep track of it and uh, see what else comes from it. All right. So in conclusion, we like the Saints over Green Bay. Mac Jones ain't the truth. These quarterbacks all kind of fucking sucked last week. And welcome to our new co-host, Alex. In the meantime, remember to please bet on football games. Awesome.